Happy New Year and welcome to the first No Truck Stops episode of 2024, a Pac-12 podcast brought to you by Homefield Apparel. We are coming to you live right after the Sugar Bowl. I am Carlos Adek, Grady Brown. Joining me, a woman who's another year wiser, Avery at Brave Grapes. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> Greg at Bananamorphs. Kalen DeBoer is just offensive Mario Cristobal. Oh, we can get into it. We can get into it. Angry by Matthew Burton at No Pit Stop. Extra angry today. I don't. At, at what point does your getting away with it at the consequence of your own fucking around with it become no longer getting away with it? <laughs> and for the for maybe the last time ever, maybe next time is the last time ever, read at Pac-10 Read. Steve Sarkeesian is a fucking moron. Um, I, I cannot believe he did that. He might as well have just kicked a field goal. I mean, at least we could have kept the UW wins by three streak, but Jesus. Desperate <laughs> for Texas to score four points there. I was absolutely <laughs> desperate for that. Crazy stuff. we got a jam-packed episode for you today. We'll start with Washington's win against Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, we'll get to the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, that happened earlier today between Oregon and Liberty. We'll try to recap very, very quickly the weekend that that was in Pac-12 hoops, including uh, Arizona's blowout loss to Stanford, Why? UCLA. Woman Hoops' thrilling win over USC, because we are a Pac-12 podcast. Uh, but first, quick programming reminder, uh, this w- won't be our last episode for football on the main feed. We've got one more. We'll be there probably at the conclusion of the game next week, the national championship game next week. We got a Pac-12 team in the national championship game. This is fun. Uh, so we'll get to talk about that right oh, after yes. then. We'll have we'll have one more. Uh, then we're also going to talk uh, football after that on our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com for $5. We'll probably preview the game there in more depth when we, uh, when we get to that point. As always, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like the video, comment away with your thoughts in the YouTube chat, follow us, and tweet us at No Truck Stops Pod on Twitter. Send us in your questions and rants. And of course, podcast listeners, follow the show on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five-star review. We did get a new five-star review. This one from Fat Husky. He says, Merry Christmas. Five stars. Keep picking against UW. He's right. Keep picking okay. against UW. They- they're gonna they're gonna figure it out. Uh, winners win, I guess. Let's get into it. Let's start with this Washington Texas game. Washington beats Texas thirty seven to thirty one in honestly what was a boring game until the last minute. Uh, maybe the first like quarter of this was pretty fun, or the first two quarters of this were fun and electric, and then it was like okay, Washington has this in control. They've taken care of it, and then Kalen DeBoer does some of the most absurd clock management we have seen since <laughs> Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Uh, puts Gets Texas back in the game almost by himself, uh, and Texas has a shot to win it with one second to go from about the 15-13 yard line. Um, and they, uh, Sam Ewers is not able to complete a pass to get Texas into the end zone. Sam oh, man. Ewers? S- Sam Ewers, Qu- uh, Quinn Ewers, whatever. It doesn't matter. Sam Ewers. Tomato, potato. Who cares? Who cares? Um, they're out of the playoff now. Washington advances to the national championship game. Let's just re- – this. Uh, that's fresh. Let's recap this ending. Matt, you do such a good job of retelling how these things ended. Retell how the ending of this one went. What the hell happened? And then we will get into the rest of the game. 
I, again, this really just comes down to producing your own adversity. And is it really adversity at all? We got to talk about Michigan and all the adversity they created for themselves this year. Um, Carbon copy of Mario Cristobal. What is this? Is he up to three times doing this where he's running the ball instead of kneeling it out? Um, Washington runs the ball. Dylan Johnson gets hurt because of this. This forces the clock to stop. Uh, because if the offensive player gets hurt, blah, 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 defensive player, it's a 10-second runoff. You can complain about the rule. It's a good rule. It's the right rule. It's fine. Because of this, Washington has to punt the ball away. On the punt, there is a uh, uh, catch interference. And then on a third and 10, Quinn Ewers just throws a fucking bomb, a la uh, Michael Penix. And all of a sudden, Texas has the ball on the 12-yard line with plenty of time to try and score. What happened after that is is will will be, you know, discussed for decades, I think, about what the <laughs> fuck that first down play call was, what the hell the second play down play call was, what the hell Quinn Ewers was doing just throwing the ball out of the end zone for no reason whatsoever. But the point remains that for a solid minute and a half, all of a sudden – this game went from completely and totally in Washington's bag. The game was over to Texas may have been favored at a point with 12 seconds to go. <laughs> they had three plays left with like 15 yards to go Yeah, with Washington missing their best defender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is yeah. one second left on the clock is if Washington would have lost that game. <laughs> the most yeah, legendary so at, at ref. The, at, yeah, call ever. that. Yeah, what was yeah, yeah. Say what say what happened in that context. I, just it was the right call. Yeah, yeah. Quinn Ewers like somehow gets the ball out when he's about to get sacked. The ball lands. There's clearly gonna be at least one second on the clock. Like it's one of those where the clock runs out. You know, this is I'm pretty sure it's happened for USC to win a game like five times um, <laughs> against our various so schools. True. <laughs> <laughs> where where the play is over with three seconds still on the clock, and then it just keeps running and goes to zero. Only this time both teams knew that it was like, no, nah, that's obviously bullshit. Like Washington did not celebrate. The and the ref has to come on and say, "Clock operator, please put one second back on the clock." Which has to be like one of the most electric moments for you as a referee. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be grinding your life away as a referee for that moment to get to announce that there is one second back on the clock. Here's a great point from West Texas Mike. He says uh, the goddamn ball boy caught the ball instead of letting it bounce. Is that true? Like, if if he lets it bounce, is that an extra second that comes off the clock? When he caught it, the clock said two seconds. That's not okay. That's true. (laughs) Good, good theory from West Texas, Mike. Um, This was um, uh, turned out to be a a ridiculous football game. Reed, let's go to you. You can talk about the last couple of minutes if you want. You could talk about Washington in this game broadly. What did you think of Washington in this football game? I mean, they just absolutely cooked Texas's secondary for the entire game. Uh, Texas had absolutely no answer to it. They couldn't really generate much of a pass rush either. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, basically it was just Penix dicing things up the entire game. Uh, whoever it was, you know, everyone had their moments, basically. Um, and on the other side, Texas's offense is just it's it's been hot and cold all season. And it was cold for large stretches of this game. Got hot kind of at the end, but had the fumble there that I think um, helped Washington close it out for sure. Uh, and Washington kind of returned the favor with the Dylan Johnson injury. 
I mean, I don't fucking know. I, I watched the Alabama Mission game, which obviously we don't cover before this, but like it's hard not to look at these four teams that played today and just say like Washington's offense has the most consistent answers out of anyone by like astronomic an astronomical degree. Um so yeah, Washington has a real shot at a nat- at a national championship next Monday, uh, and I hate to say that. Yeah, yeah, they were. Their offense was uh, awesome. <laughs> Graves, you were obviously watching this game too closely. What did you think of Washington in this game? You agree that their offense is just going to be overwhelming? Uh, was overwhelming in this one? Were you impressed by what they did? I have to disagree with what you said earlier, where you thought it was boring. I think. Mm-hmm. Any time that Michael Penix is just fucking cooking with that's his true. offense, like, that's electric. Give me that shit. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm still sick, so excuse the coughing. But, I, yeah, I thought it was so much fun to watch. I'm glad that he was healthy and had a good game because I think the latter half of the season has been a lot of, like, oh, what's going on with Michael Penix? He hasn't been playing that good. They've, like, been sneaking by with these wins. So it was, like, really nice to see him just play football and be really good at it and prove what a lot of us knew, is which he was good. But I just can't get over thinking that Oregon and Washington might be the best teams in the country. And this entire season, we've been talking about Washington like, okay, they might actually be bad. But maybe the Pac-12 was just actually really good and people were relying on analytics and paper football a little bit more than they should have been. Because I feel like at every single turn, Washington has proved that they're going to win the game and they're going to make it happen regardless of what analytics say about them. And considering how they matched up with Oregon, I just, I really wish I could see Oregon in the playoffs to know what that would look like. You really wish you could see, uh, or would you say, are you saying that uh, you really want to see Oregon get another shot at Washington this, and see what would happen? <laughs> the one. <laughs> Three times. That was great. And Arizona. Throw Arizona in there too. Yeah, Arizona why not? Throw. Yeah, why not? Uh, Matthew Hubertson, you get to react to this one. Uh, what did you think of Washington? Are you are you mad? You feel like they got away with it again? You're muted. muted. You're muted. It's probably a good thing. It was a good thing. I have <laughs> I have allowed a, a few select few individuals to completely ruin this UW season, and that's on me. I need to look inward. And I recognize <laughs> that. Um, but this was fucking painful. I hated every second of this. Um, Michael Penix is unbelievable. As somebody who has uh, apparently only watched three UW games all year, um, I, I can decide, decidedly say that uh, that this is the best game we've ever seen him play. Um, he, he was genuinely incredible, uh, made every single throw. And I, I think it's fair to say was perfect in this game. Um, I was really, really impressed by him and, um, up until, you know, a minute 20, uh, really felt like Washington just dominated this game. Yeah. We said coming into this game that, well, you know, of course, Michael Penix was going to get his, Roma Dunze was going to get his, maybe Jalen McMillan or one Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, Jeremy Bernard, they were going to get theirs. Um, but the the differentiator was, can they get the ground game going? Because they're going to need that. They're going to need Dylan Johnson to come through, get his most really fucking annoying five, six yards per carry. Guess what? He didn't. He sucked. Uh, he was not good in this game. The offensive line in rush run blocking, not good in this game. It didn't matter. Um, this Washington team did not need its run game to beat Texas and to control this game against Texas for the majority of it. And I think you all are right. Uh, It was, it was not, uh, it was electric watching Michael Penix. Like what he was doing, the way he was throwing the ball downfield with the like 
the power and the and the precision that he was getting on these passes to his fucking seven different NFL receivers absurd like it's truly magical watching these teams play i mean sometimes it's like it could be a great pass the receiver bungles it and he gets it anyway jeremy bernard <laughs> like tips the pass to himself like on a 40 yard bomb uh and catches it in the end zone just like this team has like big team of destiny type vibes uh and oftentimes what happens is these teams of destinies run into you know an alabama or a georgia and, and get their dreams dashed i don't know that that's going to happen this year but we'll get to that in a little bit but they've been they've been they were uh that passing game was unbelievable michael Penix was unbelievable in this game you're right matt this was the best game he's but i know that people are like oh he's been doing this all year it's true he has been doing this yeah, all year don't fucking he has not don't he has not the looked. Michigan State stat line. Stop it. <laughs> it's not no. The stat line doesn't even doesn't even do it justice. Like he only had two passing touchdowns in this game. That does not do it justice. What this he was, was doing his, tonight. This was his most complete game of the season. But he's had moments like this the entire season. Like if you're watching Sprinkled. games consistently every week, you know he's capable of doing this. Yeah. And it's hard because with the latter half of the season, he looked. I don't know what was going on there. Nobody really knows. Everybody has different reasons for that. But yeah, it was definitely his most complete game of the season. Greg, what did you think of Washington in this one? I agree with Avery on the point that it wasn't a boring game. I had a ton of fun with this game. Uh, the receiving talent it is absurd on both teams. You know, like five guys who might be in the NFL next year. Uh, that's pretty cool. But I do want to talk a little bit more about Kalen DeBoer's clock mismanagement. <laughs> happy for Washington they played great I was rooting for them my god what are you doing it's not so much the the Dylan Johnson getting hurt because I don't think that was the worst of what he did I thought the worst was the possession before that throwing on third and ten run the fucking ball run the fucking ball run out the clock you'll win Uh, that was terrible combined with the end that was concerning through this process, you possibly got two of your best players hurt with Dylan Johnson and then Jabbar Muhammad. Uh, he landed on his shoulder pretty awkwardly as Texas was storming down the field at the end of the game. This is pretty concerning for Washington. I, don't, I, I, I guess it's good, though, that you're playing against a Michigan team that like doesn't love to play offense. So that's <laughs> nice, but I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit... I'm a little bit concerned for the next game just because of the way the mismanagement at the end of this game hurt them. I, I, we always do this. I feel like I watched <laughs> a different game. Like the, the one thing that he did wrong was throw on the third and goal from the 10. That's it. What else did he do? The, I mean, the last drive was not his fault. He couldn't have just kneeled the ball out. Uh, it's true. You know, so, I mean, what are you supposed to do there? It, it was super unlucky that Dylan Johnson got it. I mean, that was like complete bullshit. It saved 35 seconds on the clock for Texas and was the only reason they had a chance. That's such a freak occurrence. That's not his fault. Um, yeah, he probably should have ran it on the third and goal, but that's it. He made one questionable call. Yeah. Now, that questionable call, I think, does end up materially impacting the end of the game. Um, I get where Kalen DeBoer is coming from, throwing for it on third and 10 to try to end the game. But, you know, you could try to end the game with something funny run-wise. I, I don't know. Um, either way, it sort of enabled Texas to kind of come back and make a game of it. I mean, the real problems were just sort of late-game execution type stuff because we didn't really talk about how 
uh, Washington punted the ball away and then committed uh, an egregious, a dumb, a very dumb There's no reason special teams interference, like catch interference. Was it their long snapper? Who was that? I don't I don't know who it was. They could have got down there that fast. <laughs> that would have been funny if there was a long snap. But I, also, I think it was... I, sorry. Uh, I think Jabbar Muhammad's healthy, though. I, he was playing he came on back. the back two plays, I think. Yeah. Did he come back? I think that I didn't Johnson see it. just had cramps. That's- that is yeah. wonderful. He was on the he was walking around on the sideline after the game. That's good. Yeah, when Dylan Johnson went down and uh, and Jabbar Muhammad went down, it was like, oh my god, this might be a costly minute for Washington if they if they manage to escape this. They're gonna have to play Washington. They're gonna have to play Michigan down. It was two their really long snapper that committed that penalty? Is that he right? Was, he was really excited. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's crazy. They, that I guess they just had a dude run there. a super fast long snapper. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so it was. It was a, a hell of an ending there and some really silly stuff, but then in the end, they, they managed to pull it out. Uh, real quick from each of y'all, we could start with Grapes. You feeling like you feeling like they got lucky in this one, or you think this is just what they do? This is just how they win games? No, they controlled the entire game. Like, yeah. I, don't think, I think it would have been unlucky if they had lost. It wasn't lucky that they won. Like, I think it would have taken a bunch of weird stuff for them to lose at the end. But yeah, they controlled this entire game, so... This felt like more control than they've been in, what, like 10 out of 12 of their games this season? That's yeah. what it feels like to me. Probably, yeah. This is this is the thing with Washington. It's like, you can say they look like shit against Washington State, struggled against Arizona State, you know, looked poopy against the backup quarterback in Utah, and and then they end up beating every top five team on their schedule. Like, it's that's what they have done this year. It's it's absurd. Um ASU we, had them in a worse situation than... <laughs> yeah, Stanford yeah. had a more worse situation, like, I ASU, think. ASU had them fucking out of their mind. Dead to rights. Yeah, dead to rights. It was, if it wasn't for like a pick six at the end, uh, yeah, we don't know, know what happens in that game. Right. They did not I mean, know how to get past ASU's defense. That's the thing is like, were they lucky in this game? No, not in the sense that they should have lost. I actually think ironically the arizona state game might be the only one that they actually should have lost (laughs) (laughs) Um, but at the same time you you can't win what is it now 10 straight one possession games and not have luck factor into it in some way i think the thing is is they should have won almost all of them if not all of them um but having all those things stack up and not have that back-breaking play ever go against them in this run, uh, you know, when you add all those odds together, is is pretty crazy that it's happened. Let me let me ask you this. We'll go. To, we'll start with Reed, and then we'll go to Matt on this one. Uh, the analytics, Vegas. I, I, I think is it fair to say they've missed on Washington this entire season, uh, for, especially the past three, four games they played in. Would you agree with that, Reed? I know you and I have talked about this a lot, and then we can go to Matt what he thinks about this. But do you feel that way that it's just like we can't trust the analytics in Vegas to understand what the hell this Washington team is doing? Yeah, I think they're tough to pin down for sure. I think that we we if you you just have to watch them. Like if you watch them, you know this level of team is in there, and when they're on, they're they can be. I hate to say it, but like 2019 LSU ish. Um, and that's something that people made fun of their fans for saying, but it's true. Uh, but there's also like, of course, there's a lot of bad results baked in here. Like Arizona state is not a good team. Stanford's not good. Wazoo was not very good this year. Um, so I, 
Yeah, it's not good. Right. I mean, like these are not good performances, and they aren't a team that is thirteen and zero against the spread right now. I I don't know what their record is, but I bet it's just fifty fifty because they've either shit the bed and, and played close against a bad team, or they've upset a team that they should have lost to or whatever, according to Vegas. Um. So, anyways, yeah, it's it's super hard to pin them down. Uh, I think in terms of Vegas, I don't know. They have it in them when they're cooking, um, but I think they're high variance. I don't. We'll never know how to explain that stretch. But right now they're on, uh, and I don't see any reason to think that they won't show up and be on. Uh, you know, next Monday, and when they're on, they're a top four team in the country easily. Maybe a top. I don't know. One, t- two, three team. So yeah. Matt, what do you think? You feel like you feel like the analytics are just missing. You feel like they're just getting away with it, like you like you, you like to say. Like, what, what's your what's your read on that? Because they were dogs in this game. They were big dogs against Oregon. They're gonna be dogs against Michigan uh, next week. The four and a half points. Be dogs against everyone. Yeah. Well, what's your what's your assessment of that? <laughs> I, I look the the point of UW's. Their variants, they are the most variance team of the four in the playoff. I don't know where they stand from a national standpoint, but like their offensive and defensive variance, their their scores that are off of their averages was by far the highest out of the four teams left here. Um, and with that, and especially when you have high variance and you have a small sample size, which our sport is, it's it, the math is almost negligible. <laughs> like it's extremely <laughs> difficult to figure out what this team is going to be on a week-to-week basis because they don't even know what the fuck they're going to be on a week-to-week basis. Um, I do definitely think that there is a certain amount of the close gameness of it all that is by design. That's not to say it's in within their control, but it is something that you look at a lot of those close games and I kind of, I, I, I want to think to look inward on did UW create their their variants and did they create these situations where these teams are playing them really close rather than this just being like an inherent talent issue or or how the team is put together? I think that you look across the board, they have elite edge rushers. They have by far like one of the best quarterbacks we've seen, certainly, you know, in the Pac-12 era. And and I definitely think that like just a thrower of the football he's one of the best we've seen. And then you look at the wide receivers that he's throwing the ball to, like it doesn't matter. You get it anywhere close. They're going to go get the ball. So across the the board, they are absolutely elite. And then they've just created their own variance that has really fucked up the the analytics of it all. (laughs) Um, You know what they remind me of? Uh, Greg's going to get this, going to understand this. We'll see if the others do. Uh, they remind me of a basketball team that relies on a lot of three-pointers um, when you talk about variance. A team that's just going to rely on a high-variance shot, but like, you know, if you just if I go 40% from three and you go 55% from two, I actually probably still beat you if I take enough threes. Um, just the math of it. I almost feel like that is what Washington is in terms of variance, which means that sometimes you're not hitting threes. Uh, you, you're going to get nights where it's like, Nothing's working. We're, these shots are not going in. We're going to have to figure something else out. And if not, we're screwed. Um, and then other nights, it's like, oh, everything's going in. And it's going to be a blowout. Uh, and it's going to be disgusting. It's going to be an avalanche. That's how I feel like with this Washington team. Because I'll go through stretches where it's like, oh, everything's hitting in this game. And then there's other teams where like, why can't Michael Penix? Is Michael Penix? How many of Michael Penix's ribs are broken this time? <laughs> right? Like that's, you know, it just feels like that's what we're doing. Greg, do you feel that way? I don't know. I'm not. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't want to 
divert this to basketball too much, but I've never <laughs> agreed. I've never agreed with your takes about teams that shoot threes like that. Okay. Um, and I don't agree with it as it goes for Washington too, you know? Like if you have the players to shoot a lot of threes or if you have the players to just gun for explosive plays all the fucking time, do it. You should. Those are the best plays. Uh I like if every team had Washington's receivers, every team would play an offense like that because obviously those are the best plays in the game. Uh, but I guess it does leave them a little bit vulnerable for a team with a great secondary. Thankfully, they haven't played one of those really yet. Michigan, it'll be a little different, probably the best defense they've played so far. But at this point, it's hard for me to imagine any defense stopping those receivers and that offensive line and especially that quarterback. Uh, I don't know. I just think they'll score on anybody. Yeah. Graves, how about you close us out here? What's your, uh, what are the, what, what, what are your, what is your, what is your read on Washington? Do you feel like, you feel like they're going to actually do it? You feel like they have, they're good enough to do it. You, do you, do you feel like the vibes are there for them to be able to pull it off and win a national championship on Monday? I do not think the big 10, as we know, it can field a team that can score enough points to keep up with Washington. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, any last thoughts here about uh, Washington before we go over to Oregon? Winners Make Reed win. a little bit happy. I, I mean, Kalen DeBoer is a magician. We just have to say <laughs> that. And, and I have to say, like, how the fuck did this happen, too? I mean, Washington has not fielded an offensive team like this in 20 years. Like, they, they haven't <laughs> done much of anything um, to this level. And, you know, just... 24 I, I mean especially in the short short term like 24 months ago we were looking at Jimmy Lake and this program cratering to a four and eight season and DeBoer stepped in and just picked up a ragtag group plugged holes with you know Jalen Polk Jabbar Muhammad obviously Penix the biggest one uh it's just crazy that that team is is that they're so shortly removed from you know being a bottom of the Pac-12 team two years ago especially because of the way we talk about who can and cannot win a national championship, right? Mm -hmm. That it's like how often, and it's for the most part, it's true. I think I like, I think it's less of a rule now than it is more of like a, like a bit of a, you know, as, as a, as a, a guideline, I guess, but it's, every time we're talking about winning a national championship, what does it require? Years and years of building and developing talent and, and building recruiting pipelines and getting to the top 10 in total team talent composite and then getting in the top five and having 70% of your roster be blue chips and blah, 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 blah. This team doesn't even have the blue chip ratio. They don't even have 50% of their roster are not blue chips. Like a tried and true method that, a lot of wonky college football people have been talking about for forever. I'm talking about like, you know, SB Nation and uh, Bill Connolly, like all the people at, uh, you know, a, a, in that world who are like really smart college football people saying like, no, it's a rule of thumb that you have to have 50% of the blue chips. They have not done that. They have not done that. Um, it is absurd what Kalen DeBoer is doing. And I think we will think about it very differently if Michigan goes out there and just completely obliterates Washington. I think we're going to talk about them the way that, you know, I think people talked about TCU. I also don't think that's going to happen. Like it doesn't feel like it. We have, it's not the same vibes of Georgia beating the shit out of TCU. It really does feel like Washington has a legitimate shot at beating Michigan, even if they're going to be underdogs. Um, and if it's a close game, 
like, you know, it's a little like, damn, uh, he did it without uh, breaking all of the rules, right? He came within whatever many points he will come within of winning a national championship and and not adhering to any of the rules. It's a hell of a coaching job from Kalen DeBoer. That, that's true. I have gripes with Kalen DeBoer. Uh, clock management, it, I would... I don't want to end the conversation here, but I guess I will. I would be remiss to not mention uh, a thing that bothered me during this game was apparently Tybo Rogers, their backup running back, got some touches in this game. Uh, that that uh, he was kicked off the team or dismissed or suspended or whatever wasn't win with the team going to Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game. It came out later that a woman publicly publicly on Snapchat, I think, accused him of sexually assaulting her um, and had you know not like super super detailed but kind of offered some details and that happened apparently october 23rd of this season uh he comes back in no one really i've looked this up people are not talking about this no one's really saying like yeah Toby, why was tybo rogers dismissed and it was sort of a really grim detail and i just thought i'd mention that that has soured calen DeBoer a little bit for me a good football coach but that was some really poor decision making obviously it's you know people are gonna paper over it I will say, if Dylan Johnson's not 100%, Tybo Rogers is going to get a lot of run in the most watched college football game uh, of the season. So we'll see what happens with that. But I just would be remiss not to mention it because I know it was a big topic of discussion among some folks. Um, anything else about Washington before we move on to Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl? Okay, let's move on to Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl then. Oregon beats the living shit out of Liberty in Phoenix in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, 45-6. to six. Oregon started off as they normally do in one of these kinds of games where everyone's watching to see if Oregon's going to choke. They started it off ugly. They love to, Oregon loves to tease a little bit. They, I feel like Dan Lanning hears all the, all the noise around, everyone thinks we're going to choke this game. What if I just gave them a little taste that we're going to choke this game? What if we do a little stupid, silly shit here and there? We throw that in, we do some stuff that doesn't make any sense, and then we just beat the shit out of them afterwards. Um, they were they were ugly looking in that first quarter. Weird tendency for them this season. But the Ducks were back, scored 28 unanswered in the second quarter, and that was the game. Uh, Bo Nix had five touchdowns in this one. Also, didn't know this, apparently broke the single-season passer rating record in one of, honestly, the most shameless shows of stat padding <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> uh, crazy stuff. Um, but Oregon also breaks the longstanding Pac-12 title game loser curse and is the first and last Pac-12 title game loser to win their bowl game. Reed, let's start with you. What did you think of Oregon in this one? Oregon got a 100% grade for me. This is an A-plus on an assignment that just is not worth that much. Liberty fucking sucks. I mean, awesome that they beat them. It could have been horrible if they didn't. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, even I can admit a lot of teams would have done this to Liberty. Um, They're just not good. They hadn't played anyone all year. They're really not playing at the same level of football and probably shouldn't be in the same division of football as Oregon is. Uh, But for whatever weird reason, this is the matchup we got. Thank God for the completion percentage storyline with Bo Nix, because that was, (laughs) that's like what kept me entertained and engaged in the game. (laughs) Would have had no reason to watch into the third quarter. If not for that, Um, other than just nerding out about freshmen, you know, receivers and shit like that. So I don't know, man. I can't take away that much from it. I'm overall as Oregon, like the story of the season has to be you played one top 10 team, a team that's playing for a national title twice, had fourth quarter leads in both those games, lost both times by three points. 
uh, deserve to lose both those games, sure, but it's it's really hard to look at this Oregon team and pin down how good they actually are because we saw them destroy every other team they played after Texas Tech, uh, and we didn't see them play another team that was really a bona fide top 15 team in this season. So I don't know. It will forever be a kind of question mark, uh, and yeah, that's what this Oregon season is really. But, but hey, think ahead, about you could have been in the Rose Bowl and played Iowa. <laughs> would that have I been the matchup? Sure. In, in like a in like a BCS era, yeah. Um, surely, or maybe Ohio State. So surely that would have been a, a much better data point that, that you could have taken away, right? Yeah, it, it's like the number of teams that you can take, that you can say matched up with Oregon, like match up with Oregon and say, yeah, okay, we learn about Oregon. It's pretty small, honestly. It's like, are we really learning anything if Oregon replaces Georgia in, what was it, the Peach Bowl or whatever, and plays Florida State and beats them? Not really. I'm not sure that we're we're not taking anything away from that game. <laughs> if they play Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl, they take Arizona Space. Are we taking anything away from that? I don't think so. I don't think we're sort of like if they beat the shit out of Oklahoma, maybe we're like, okay, this is a good team. It's a top ten team, just as we had sort of thought. But that's about it. I think there were maybe like three or four teams uh, that they probably could have played. Two of whom were in the champ are in the um, college football playoff. That we would have said, oh yeah, they beat them, and that that tells us a lot about Oregon. You're right, Reed. I think that's a good point. Just we we were so robbed of Oregon and Arizona not playing this season, and I will God. continuously bring that up because <laughs> we would have learned so much from that fucking game, especially if it was late in the season. Early on, it wouldn't have mattered, but if it was in the latter third of the season, oh my God, I'm so angry that we don't get that. Um, I, as a former Utah fan, who suffered through two Pac-12 championship losses and very pissed off that Utah did not get to play Liberty in their bowl games. And <laughs> I will be submitting many complaints about that because what the fuck? You don't get points for breaking a curse when you're playing like the toddler version of a football team. Which <laughs> the curse was alive and well for the first 15 minutes, by the yeah, way. Yeah, but that was every Oregon game this season. Like, that happened against Stanford too. They like to They like to keep it cute in the first quarter and then be like, no, actually we're good. So. Yeah, what's what's weird is I don't even think this is the worst pack, the worst bowl game team that a Pac-12 title game loser has played. Like, really? I can't imagine. So it's like, what about like Northwestern in 2018? Aren't they? I mean, <laughs> Northwestern <laughs> this year. I mean, I guess Northwestern. Northwestern in 2018 was much better than this Liberty team. Let's be real. Okay. And okay. Meaner. They they were mean. Yeah. <laughs> and that <laughs> game was fucking <laughs> raining. It, they it, were not that's nice. Not the same. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, who did Colorado play? They played Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was, I guess, a ten-win team at that time. Better than this Liberty team. Yeah, we got to go back. I guess we'll do we'll do some digging and go down the list. The fact that this Liberty team got the G five bid is a fucking disgrace. Like, it is a disgrace that they got to play in this game with the schedule they played. UCLA played stupid fucking team. UCLA played Illinois in two thousand eleven. Illinois is better than Liberty. Who did they play in two? That Illinois team was not better than Liberty. Uh, we're going to get into real conversations about Ron Zook, uh, which is crazy. Uh, that <laughs> Baylor, comprehend Baylor in 2012. Uh, that Baylor, t- but that, oh, that Baylor, Baylor 2012 team, team, they were fine, and then they became a juggernaut the next year, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're in that conversation, but yeah, it's it, it was a weird uh, it was a weird situation. I also think if that was like I don't know USC who was playing Liberty. <laughs> I don't think it's a 45 to 6 blowout. I do think it's probably a little bit closer. I do think USC bungles it enough to make some stuff happen. So I do think that this Oregon team was just like focused 
and good enough and um, utilize their talent well enough to beat everyone else except Washington. The thing is, is, you know, we may look back on it, depending on how, uh, what happens on Monday, we might be like, well, Oregon might've been the number two team in the country, which is honestly something I said that is like, you know, I wouldn't say tongue in cheek. I was somewhat serious about it, but also was like not so wedded to it. I may actually be wedded to the idea that it was literally Washington one, Oregon two in the country this year. Like, I think that uh, if Washington ends up winning a national championship, I think that's a legitimate <laughs> argument that we can make. Um, so, I don't know. Do y'all, any of y'all agree? Is there a chance Oregon here? We we talk about them as the second best team in the country this year? I mean, I'm, maybe. I'm saying that. I'm saying that. <laughs> I've already been saying that. I already tweeted that. Matt, is that how are you feeling? It depends on the Michigan game for me, for sure. Okay. Okay. I mean, like, there's also the chance that, like, the best team didn't even play in the playoff, but they lost, so they lost the right to to be in that conversation, I think. Yeah, that's uh, completely fair. The only um, Pac-12 loser... Did, did Oregon lose? I, I Oregon lost, but the team oh, okay. they lost to has not yet lost. So, like, you can still have a transitive <laughs> runner-up. <laughs> the, um, the only Pac-12 loser, championship game loser, that I think had a worse opponent than Liberty was USC in 2020 when they didn't play anyone. Mm. We forget even about that then, one. Even then, I think that... An, an opponent of, of nobody <laughs> is still like a net positive over Liberty, who is trash <laughs> and an abomination. Yeah, but at least it was a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, yeah, and yeah. That, it could have been like all, it could have been like the so Sun <laughs> The fact that the fact that Liberty scammed their way into a New Year's Six Bowl by playing the schedule that they did, it's a disgrace. <laughs> um okay, so let's yeah, let's put a cap on Oregon season. Uh, they finished twelve and two. I don't know, like their seventh twelve game, uh, twelve win season this season. So good for them. Good for Oregon. We'll see what happens. Any other thoughts about Oregon uh, before we before we hit to an ad break? No matter what the record was this season, um, if Washington wins the national championship, this is the worst season in Oregon football history because they could have stopped this from happening twice. Yeah. Yeah, Reed. Okay, Reed, I asked you this question and you were adamant. You were adamant that 2012 and 2014 Oregon seasons were more painful for you as a fan. Yeah, they were. Okay. Um yeah. I mean, <laughs> you you just if you're not an Oregon fan, you do not know the pain of the 2012 Stanford game. Uh nothing, no sports pain could ever eclipse that. Mm. You have you just it's indescribable the broncos 20, looping by a billion points to the seahawks in 2012 while i was at a church meeting i promise you championship game where we would have beaten lsu so bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone's got those i will say reed it's like we I, i've heard you and uh our homie james on the quacked out podcast say several times that this was the best organ team that you had ever seen that it was the best organ team maybe in history and it does in feel the, like, in, you know, yeah, they, in the they conversation. Ran, yeah, and they ran into Washington. And I mean, I can't think of another team where it's like over at least over the past 10, 15 years where it's like, yeah, they probably would have won a national championship if they didn't have their rival standing in the way. Like, I don't know that we, we have another I'm, example. I'm, of that. I'm telling you 2012 Oregon, if yeah. they get by Stanford wins against Notre Dame in a national title, it's, it's not even close. True. It's probably so, true. And, and Stanford was Oregon's rival at that time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's more painful for the for all of your interactions with Washington fans from here on out because 
uh, they have said, oh, we want an Addy, and you can say, oh, well, it was in an era before when there was polls and people voted on it, and it was a split Natty, and that was before you were born, and blah, blah, blah. Those things are all gone now. Already one talking point for Oregon fans. No wins in January. All gone now. They have a win in January. They've checked that box. And now they've got a shot at a national championship. Uh, it, was, it was a hell of a run, man. <laughs> are you, so Rest you're not going to be no, no back no in the pack. Wins. No oh. back in the pack. Uh, no, ab- this. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, real quick, Matthew Uberson, are you back in the pack? Are you rooting for Washington or, or have you let the haters get to you? Um, God, I'm just such a dark sports place right now. My, <laughs> my nights keep losing. The Red Sox have decided to opt out of this entire off season. Um, well, like I just, I just don't want to live anymore. Really, anymore. I'm just claiming this that I predicted it prior to the 2021 season. That's true. Um, Long game. Really. <laughs> Greg, are you rooting for UW? Um, unlike Matt, I'm in a great sports place right now. My sharks keep losing, <laughs> which is great. Um, <laughs> but I'm conflicted on this because on the one hand, I've long said UW fans are the most annoying Pac-12 fans there are. They're so bad. Uh, They're not. They're really I, not. I you need to interact them. with more people. I don't want They're them tough. to experience this joy. I don't want to see it happening. On the other hand, I really like this UW team and it's going to be impossible for me not to root for them against Michigan. So I will be, I will be backing the pack in the national title game, even as I leave the pack 12 to go to the big 12 <laughs> after this football season. <laughs> uh, I, I will be begrudgingly back in the pack and rooting for Washington. I've got, I was rooting for Washington today. I had my UW uh, home field shirt on shout out to home field for this t-shirt. Um, and I will be rooting for them against Michigan because I don't care about Michigan and this Washington team was a lot of fun. But yes, it was annoying for 11, 12 straight weeks to be like, hey, uh, it actually kind of does matter how you win. Uh, it actually matters that you look like shit against Arizona State, that you kind of that you look like shit against Washington State, and those aren't good teams. And of course, Oregon should be ranked ahead of you because they've like raised everyone in their path. And then for them to be validated, for them to be validated, and then for them to beat Oregon, and then for us to all be like, well, that, that's, that was a good matchup. Uh, you just can't scale that. You, that's not going to work against other top five teams. And then what happened? It worked against other top five teams. Stupid. It's so fucking <laughs> annoying. <laughs> uh, but shout out to Washington fans. They've been, they've, been, they've been there the entire time. Can you imagine the timeline where Quinn Ewers hits A.D. Mitchell in the corner with one second left on the clock? <laughs> I mean, like, we were so close to the most insane turnaround of like having the game in their hands and having it stolen from them just like they did to fucking every other team they God, played for can you imagine months. the pain can you imagine being a washington fan and having that happen to you how Especially do you go on that, living your life? That that would go down as one of the best college football moments in history. It probably would. <laughs> and you'd oh, be on absolutely. the other side of that. Oh, that's my and, nightmare. And one of the greatest meltdowns on Twitter we will ever have seen. Uh, all gone. All gone. All right. Well, that's it for football discussion. Uh, we'll say goodbye to Matthew Bertson because no way in hell he's going to want to stick around and talk about basketball. So the rest of us will take a quick, quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Pac-12 basketball really, really fast. Don't you dare go anywhere. 
Hey besties, you already know that my favorite thing about the Pac-12 are its weird traditions and wacky vibes, and Homefield Apparel does an incredible job of creating gear that encompasses the strange histories of the Pac-12 conference. For example, this UW Sun Dodgers t-shirt, if you have never seen this logo before, I don't blame you, because this was only UW's mascot for less than two years in the early 1920s. Nobody knew what a Sun Dodger was, so they ended up voting to get rid of it, but in the short time they did have it, they went with Sunny Boy here with a little umbrella. I love wearing the shirt. I think it confuses everyone around me. They have tons of amazing, interesting, and unique throwbacks for 11 of the 12 Pac-12 schools, and you can get all of that and more at homefieldapparel.com. You will not regret it. Literally ask anyone that owns a Homefield shirt. They will tell you how soft it is. It is truly amazing. I don't know how they do it, but the quality... I don't take them off. I live in these. They're incredible. Get a home field shirt. Bye. All right, we're back and we have a uh, breaking news. Avery, they don't Home Field does not sell the Sun Dodger shirt anymore? Well, I was looking on their website earlier and I didn't see it. So, if you have it, it's it's a uh, limited edition apparently. Oh my goodness. All right. Some of the stuff just might be limited it might be, edition. It might be sold out too when they just took it off. I don't know. Yeah. Oh my god. That's uh that's very very sad. All right, well let's uh finish this off. Talk a little bit of basketball really really quick. We'll try to keep this short for all of you degenerates out there. Let's start with uh I think the biggest outcome of the weekend, Arizona men's basketball. The number 4 team entering the weekend. They traveled to the Bay Area. They got an easy win over Cal 100 to 81. And then they got blown out by Stanford in Maples Pavilion 100 to 82. Stanford did have an absurd game from three. They shot 16 for 25 from downtown. That's 64% from three, while Arizona shot 44% from the floor and just 27% from three. Uh, but Arizona loses a head-scratcher. Greg, I, I'm not sure how much of this you were watching, but were you are you worried about Arizona, or do you feel like this is just a fluke? Uh, how do you lose by 20 to Jared Haas is the thing. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say it's a fluke, but... My God, dude, how do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to not, especially when you're <laughs> playing a Jared Haas team who, like every Jared Haas team, like turnovers, you know, they, every Jared Haas Stanford team has just been terrible with turnovers. I feel like it's been a little better this year, but it's still the same team. You are a team that thrives on transition play. This should be a matchup where you beat the fuck out of them. How do you lose by 20? Oh, my God. I, I'm worried about Arizona. Uh, I think we both decided, Carlos, we were going to be more critical of them this year. We weren't going to wave away these signs, considering how they've crumbled in March before. And while we did talk about how maybe this team is different, no, fuck that. This is the same Arizona <laughs> team. They're going to lose in one of the first two rounds again. Uh, yeah, I don't know if y'all watched this, but this was, uh, I watched the second half of this game. Someone, someone like messaged me or, or, or quote tweeted at me. I think it was James actually who texted me, who was like, uh, what's going on with Arizona? And I looked at the scoreboard. Stanford was up 20 on Arizona early in the second quarter and second half. 
Um, so I tuned in and, and kind of watched that. Stanford did have a ridiculous shooting night. I do think it's hard to find, having watched that game, looked through the first half a little bit, and then uh, looked through, through some of the box score. I do think it was a little fluky. I do think Stanford did get a little hot from three. But here's the thing. You shouldn't allow Stanford to take that many shots from three, number one. Number two, uh, it's not like they Stanford wasn't beating them in other aspects. They out-rebounded um, Arizona on the def- defensive boards. I think that was because, uh, you know, Arizona was missing a lot of shots, and so you're <laughs> going to accumulate a lot of defensive boards. But there was that. Um, other than that, like, you know, Stanford turned over the ball a lot. Arizona did not. So, you know, another point in favor of this being a weird game. Uh, they were equal in blocks and steals that, you know, n- neither of them were really getting in each other's passing lanes like that. I think things were just a little bit too comfortable from Stanford from what I saw, uh, and watching that game. I think they probably kind of weird to think about because this is not Arizona's identity, but if you're getting torched like that, like it might, might behoove you to slow things down a little bit, mm-hmm. try to get back in transition. I do feel like Arizona was not getting back in transition. And the other thing, like this was a bad offensive defensive performance from Arizona because of the three-point shooting, but also it was not a great offensive performance. Like Arizona performs much better than this normally. They should against Stanford. A lot of that had to do with them getting baited into three-point shots, which is something they did last season a ton. They took 26 26 three-pointers, uh, I think they had like 37% of their shots were from three. That's way higher than their season average. That's how you beat Arizona over the past couple of years, is you is you dare them to take a ton of threes. And they fall into it. They can do that when they're not focused. And they'll just shoot their, shoot their way out of it. And they kind of did that in this game. So I'm not going to take away from it so much and say, yeah, Arizona's cooked. I do think it's a point in the whole, f- in, in the favor of like, Mm, what's going to happen with Arizona in March? Can we trust them? They're doing it again. You know, they had the loss to Florida Atlantic, which is a very, very good team. Um, but they kind of got out physical a little bit. So that's a little concerning. And then Florida Atlantic <laughs> went and lost to Florida Gulf Coast. So, you know, that loss looks a little bit worse and worse. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with Arizona. We can't quite trust them. But here they are. Any thoughts about uh, Arizona from the rest of the, from the peanut gallery here? Maybe they're just trying to lower expectations so that we don't hold them on such a high pedestal in March. Maybe they want a worse seed. Do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, why not? They're like, I, we don't want to play Princeton bagging. again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're scared of the Tigers. <laughs> they're running They're running from Yale uh, is what's going on. <laughs> from their experience, it's way easier to win if your number is lower in the poll. <laughs> Here's the thing. They don't want things out. They don't want the, uh, you know, they're, they've like lost, you know, there's that whole stat how they've lost to like every single seed in their history. Like they lost to the 15 seed. They lost to the 14 seed. And the one seed they haven't lost to yet is a 16 seed. So this is them being Just like. Dodge the 16. <laughs> uh, not gonna try it this time not gonna try it um okay so that was arizona let's move on let's shift over to women's hoops a little bit we had a massive pair of games to open conference play for the women including starting with number two ucla beating number six usc and poly pavilion on saturday night ucla won 71 to 64 thanks to a hot shooting night from guard london jones she scored 21 points off five for eight from three. Juju Watkins, a true freshman phenom who's been historically great uh, so far this season for USC. She was mostly kept in check. Uh, she scored 27 points, but off seven for 24 shooting. UCLA ends up with a huge resume boosting win. They even earned a single vote for the number one in the AP poll, poll stealing one from South Carolina. Uh, quick, quick question. Were any of y'all watching this game, keeping up with it? Yeah, it was electric. Unfortunately. And it was also 
really accessible, which I was happy about. Apparently, one of the streams was like completely free to access. Oh, so that's a lot cool. Of people, wow. I don't know if it was on purpose, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were able to watch. Like I saw something going around about it. But yeah, this was a really electric game as advertised. Carlos has been talking about this for like, what, six weeks? You've yeah, been, feels like you've it. been hyping this one up like crazy. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, London Jones is electric, so is Juju Watkins. And I think UCLA should be ranked number one. Give them the, the number one votes, please. That's right. That's right. Uh, shout out to South Carolina fans. I've, I've been tweeting that UCLA should be number one over South Carolina. South Carolina fans uh, talk trash <laughs> in a way that I am not familiar with at all. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of, uh, can someone please put UCLA at number one so Carlos can enjoy his new year? <laughs> we don't we don't want number one please give it to please give it to ucla i don't know how to respond to that <laughs> we don't need it we're fine what in the world? i don't really know they've got me trapped i have no idea how to respond uh i'm stuck i'm stuck um yeah this game was a fucking blast Polly pavilion was packed to the gills for this one and i'm not sure if it came through on the tv it was loud. Uh, it was a crazy environment. I was talking with some of y'all, some friends, uh, to ask what it sounded like on TV. In person, it was raucous as hell. Uh, in terms of the actual game, also a blast. UCLA got up big early. USC fought back in the second quarter, thanks to some savvy attacking from Juju Watkins to help quiet the crowd a little bit. Uh, but then UCLA took control in the second half, thanks to some uh, absurd rebounding, honestly, from Lauren Betts, who played brilliantly in this one. Kiki Rice and Charisma Osborne, the stars for UCLA. They were held in check, but uh, that gave London Jones some clean looks from three. This UCLA team, I don't think, has many clear weaknesses right now. They look unstoppable. If you take away their star guards in Kiki Rice and Charisma Osborne, they beat you inside with six, I think she's six seven. Lauren Betts. Um, just her, her size is uh, imposing out there. Um, or they can beat you from three with London Jones. Um, I think their one thing is like outside of London Jones and Charisma Osborne, they don't have a ton of great three-point shooters, but they have enough. Um, and if you have bigs that can mitigate UCLA size, Kiki Rice is an awesome uh, shot creator, an awesome distributor for others. Uh, Charisma Osborne can obviously get her own shots. It's a, it's a crazy balanced team. Uh, on the USC side, I actually came away with a little more respect for USC. Coming into this one, I felt like the discourse, the narrative on USC was – they're a little top-heavy. They're too reliant on Juju Watkins, their star player, to score 30. They're too dependent on her to go crazy. They're too dependent on her to score. She's carrying this team. And I think that was true for much of this. I felt like their best offense was just Juju Watkins getting getting to the line. Um, but they did have other contributors. Uh, Mackenzie Forbes was a fucking flamethrower from three for USC. She was keeping them in this one by herself. Raya Marshall, USC's big, kind of disappeared in this one. Sort of expected her to have a big one uh, against Lauren Betts, but she mostly got outworked by Betts. Uh, so USC does have some flaws, but they also have some things they can improve on, right? Things they can, they can fix. So the rematches in a few weeks, we'll see. Uh, that one will be in the Galen Center. We'll see what happens. Hopefully that's another raucous environment because that was that was a blast. That was of all the games I've been to at Poly Pavilion, I would say in terms of like environment and feel and noise and crowd energy um, and capacity and all that stuff, like second only to like two air, like high level Arizona games, like top 10 Arizona games uh, in men's basketball. So it feels like um, the Pac-12 network always quiets crowd noise. They do. Really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like I could tell it was loud. It looked really packed on screen, but it wasn't as loud as you were describing. Yeah, like if you're like watching on a CBS or an ESPN, right? The the crowd noise is very apparent. That wasn't mm-hmm. so in in that game. So kind of a bummer there. All right, well, uh, let's shift over to ma- men's basketball one more time. Uh, Utah men's basketball they go two and zero 
in their homestand against the Washington schools. They beat Wazoo 80 to 58 last Friday, where Kaba Keda and Gabe Matson broke out for 18 and 20 respectively on that game. And then on Sunday, the Moose beat UW 95 to 90 in a bit of a thriller. Winners don't win in there. Uh, Utah came away with that one. Brandon Carlson went off for 34 points. Grapes, I know you watched both of these games. What did you think of the Utah running moves? Are they back? It's so funny because Washington football wins close ones and Washington basketball loses close ones. Like, consistently. <laughs> but yeah, Utah's back. Utah is back. I can't believe I live in a world where Utah is consistently scoring over 80 points. Like, what the actual yeah. fuck? How yeah. did we get here? I don't know. But I feel like I've been through a lot, so I deserve it, along with, like, the 14 other Utah fans that pay attention. Um, Brandon Carlson, is he the best player in the Pac-12? That's a good question. Oh, man, he was awesome in this game. He Especially was also in the both second games. half. The first half was a little slow against Washington, but the second half, he went fucking insane. He had like 25 points in the second half. At 27. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's <laughs> crazy. So game with 34, 7, and 7. I'm here to tell you that he is, in fact, the best player in the conference. Let's go. He can't be guarded <laughs> by anyone. Like, it's incredible. Like, he'll either fade away in the mid-range, which I, it's the worst thing he does. Like, if he yeah. got that out of his game, he'd be significantly better. But he still hits that a decent number of the time. <laughs> Against Washington, he had that skyhook just working for him so well. They could not guard him without fouling. Uh, it was it was just a beautiful performance. He, he was completely dominant, took over the game. Uh, this Utah team is so fun. It's it's nice. It's cool that we have a better basketball team than football team for the first time in a while. Did you yeah. get any of these games, Greg? Get to go in person? Yeah. No, I couldn't. It sucked. That's such a bummer. I I don't know if any Utah fans listen to our podcast, but I've obviously been like a big supporter of going to sporting events, especially Utah basketball, because Utah basketball can be so electric in the Huntsman Center. But nobody fucking goes to the games. Like This is one of the best Utah basketball teams in a decade almost it's been a long time yeah. like 2016 i think is the last time they were this high in ken palm rating yeah so it's been a long time this is a good team they actually do things on offense it's not like a slugfest so people need to go to these games it's actually like a very fun time i'm sick of seeing empty seats in the front row here yeah i will they, be i'll be at the ucla game thankfully i'm, I'm excited for that one yeah I think that'll be fun. And when Arizona Arizona's going to come next weekend, uh, at, well, do they go to Tucson or do they go? I didn't think this one was in Salt Lake. But um, maybe yeah, I'm... they go to Tucson, Utah at Arizona. So that game will be at the McHale Center. Yeah, Arizona goes to Salt Lake City on February 8th. So that, if you're circling your calendar for one game, that's probably the one that's going to go crazy. Although, you know, I think Utah fans always show out for UCLA. Like, that's always a a big game on the schedule. It's always good for them to beat uh, UCLA. So that's, that'll be on there. And then maybe Colorado, like Colorado will be a tough game. So maybe people will show up for that, but this Utah team is good. Uh, they're winning in a variety of ways right now. I think they prefer to play slow. They prefer to play deliberate. They prefer to beat you with defense. Uh, they prefer to force you to turn the ball over. But in this Washington game, they were sped up. They had to play fast and they did what they had to do. Washington is a team that's just going to, like, I don't know, be pesky. They're going to score a lot of points because they have a lot of talent. Keon Brooks is awesome. Um, I think they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of hoopers. Moses Wood, a good shooter sometimes. Um, but Utah's just disciplined, and, like, they, they're mentally tough. They'll stay in games and figure it out, um, get their defense going, and that's kind of what they did in this game against Washington. Uh, against Washington State, started off a little bit slow, but they, they figured it out um, and took control of that game in the second half. Um, 
good performance from them either way. I mean, it's not just Brandon Carlson. Like, Brandon Carlson, best player on that team, best player of the Pac-12. But they've got a whole cast of characters that are, like, really contributing right now. Gabe Matson, an electric scorer. An electric <laughs> scorer. I love watching Gabe Matson play. I think he's a smart defender and is just, like, a great shooter and also is, like, honestly – has taken Tiger Campbell's role as like the coolest player in the Pac-12. I'll just say it. Like, <laughs> I think he's fucking cool. Uh, he's got the thigh tattoo. He's got the you, hair. You think you'd ever say that about a white guy? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. If Gabe Matson is like you know if, if you were like a fourteen-year-old who was like creating your own player and it's like, oh, I'll make this guy look cool. That's Gabe Matson. <laughs> That's Gabe Matson. I mean that complimentary. <laughs> and I love the. Uh, friend of the show bryce Hendricks, uh on twitter he, i can't remember if it was in a group chat or he tweeted it but he talked about how gabe madsen is to this utah team what clay thompson was to the washington state teams that he was on just like so much of the offense at times is oh oh fuck we don't have a plan at all just toss it to gabe madsen in the corner and let him <laughs> <laughs> just let him bomb from range and that just that gets utah out of every slump they've ever been in it's it's been very fun this year especially considering how i was not the biggest gabe madsen fan the last couple of years uh just with his shot selection and with the lack of creation on utah it, like he made some bad decisions this year He's just taken such a leap forward in every possible way. It's incredible. Yeah, you can tell that the experience is really working for Utah. Um, and he's a big part of that, right? Like, I think he uh, he's also got, you know, and he's also, yeah, he's cool. He's he's very, very cool. Uh, but they've got other players, too. Like, I, I, K. Bakeda starting to come into his own a little bit. Had a great game against Washington State. A little quieter against Washington. Um, not quite as uh, big of a performance, but still had his moments. Um Cole Bajima has had moments a little quiet sometimes himself, but had a really breakout, a, a breakout ish game against Washington, had a few shots uh, against his old team. Uh, they just, they Raleigh Wooster is a serviceable point guard. Now, like I do feel like Raleigh, Raleigh Wooster has become, uh, you know, what was a net negative and Oh man, they have to deal with this guy over like Rylan Jones from a few years ago. And they bring in Raleigh Wooster and it's like, Oh, this dude can run an offense totally fine. Like he's a good point guard now. Uh, so that continuity, the experience is all paying off now. And then, of course, you're developing and or have ready Davon Smith, who can, who I think is already coming to his own in this one, in his mm-hmm. uh, in his role. Uh, so I don't know. It's a cool team. It's a fun team. I think they're going to make some waves. Any other thoughts uh, on this team, Greg? I just am so ready for them to lose to Arizona State. Like, it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> With the way ASU is playing right now, oh, couldn't man. be worse. With the way there Utah is playing right now, very fun. In that game. Totally. Like, this is you, ASU. Bobby Hurley will have Utah in the torture chamber, and it's going to end on some, like, bullshit biennial half-court shot i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah frankie collins is gonna get like 34 or something ridiculous <laughs> like that this is where so it's gonna be really interesting to see how craig smith responds because i do think that that's possible uh and i don't think you know i don't think arizona state's a great team but they have guys who can like take over a game and frankie collins being one of them do they stick davon smith on frankie collins get davon smith like 30 minutes is he ready to do that ready to take that on because i think he might be the only player quick enough honestly to stay in front of frankie collins consistently uh, I like Davon Smith. I think I think he's like their best athlete, um, and also a really really good guard. So I don't know. I'd be really curious to see how they how they handle that. 
Um, okay, so that was Utah. Let's switch over really, really quick back to women's hoops. Uh, Colorado women's basketball beat Utah 76-65. This was a tight game for the first half, and then Colorado pulled away thanks to a fucking masterclass from Colorado point guard Jalen Sherrod. She was tearing Utah apart surgically, uh, creating shots for others, getting her own shots, um, and to top it off was all over the place defensively. She finished she finished with 34 points, four rebounds, four assists, six steals, all while shooting 57% from the floor. Ridiculous performance for her. For the casuals, uh, one of the knocks on Colorado entering conference play was that um, they could be an elite team, but uh, because they have a good collection of players, but they don't have a clear like star the way that UCLA has Charisma Osborne or how Utah has Alyssa Peely or how Stanford has Cameron Brink. Like They don't have one singular player who can do that. Maybe... Jalen Sherrod is uh, is showing up as that player. I think it's really interesting to see what happens with her. Uh, on the Utah side, it's becoming very, very clear that Alyssa Peely actually cannot carry this team all by herself. She was magnificent again, uh, but desperately needs help. No other Utah player outside of Peely scored in double figures, and she had 27. Um, so it's tough to see all this go like this for Utah. The thing is, I don't think they'll compete for a national title, given their situation here, but they'll be better than, you know, at least 75% of the Pac-12. So I think they have still plenty to play for, but um, we'll see. We'll see what Utah uh, does this season. All right. Uh, any other thoughts about Utah women's basketball, Colorado women's basketball? This conference is just so deep. Like It's deep. There's it's so deep. many just elite teams. And Colorado, this is a loss that was kind of expected for Utah, so it's not a bad loss in any way. Colorado's like ranked ahead of them. But, yeah, just really deep conference. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, uh, we got some really, really fun matchups uh, on the way. I mean, there's going to be a ton of fun matchups every single week, to be honest with you. Um, I wish there was an easy way to pull up the schedule. I feel like sports reference is really, really, really slow on women's basketball stuff. So I'll pull up the schedule, find a few key games for people to pay attention to. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, All right, let's move on to go rapid fire. First up, Cal lost to ASU on New Year's Eve, 71-69. That was an ugly game. Grapes, you were paying attention to this for some reason. Is that right? Don't ask me why. I don't know. It was on my TV. I was watching. <laughs> any any notes? Uh, my notes are that even though ASU won, that Bobby Hurley should still be on the hot seat, especially considering that ASU is going into a better basketball conference next year. I think that they should not bring that coach with them. I think I don't think he'll get fired because I think he's just doing enough to pass through. But this season's been really rocky for them, and it's not looked promising. I don't think he's done anything to show that he'll actually field the team that they've been hoping to have. Yeah, uh, Arizona State finished with three assists and twelve turnovers. Like at halftime, they had zero assists and eleven turnovers. That's crazy. I've like never seen that before. Three assists to twelve turnovers is already insane. 0 to 11 is crazy. They had three assists in the second half. Who plays like that? Stupid team. A couple other ones here. Colorado beat Wazoo to sweep the Washington schools. They move inside the top 30 in Kempom. Bad, bad, bad weekend from USC. They lose to Oregon. 82 to 74 in Eugene. And then follow that up by getting blown out by Oregon State. Not like a late game blowout. They were blown out almost from the beginning. Uh, to Oregon State. Big, big frauds. Oh, man, Andy Enfield. Like, I'm not sure if he was on the hot seat coming into this one or if he could have been or what the deal was. This is a fucking collapse beyond measure. Uh, they've 
they're healthy by all metrics, uh, by all measures, by all you know definitions of the word healthy. But they are really, 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 really bad right now. They're six and seven. They've lost. Uh, let's see how what their record is over the past few games. They have no excuses for this behavior. No, they're fi- they're one in five over their past games. Oh, this is a, it's bad. This is a football situation right now. Reed, any quick thoughts on USC straight up collapsing right now? Yeah, I mean, I saw the same thing happen against the hobbled Oregon team earlier, and then caught a bit of the Oregon State game. It's weird. There's big shifts. I feel like in the you know men's hoops landscape right now, UCLA and USC are dropping off. It seems like Oregon and Utah are potentially replacing them. I don't know. I thought that this USC team had potential. They certainly have talent early in the season, but this is getting ugly pretty fast. I, I thought Bronny was supposed to change everything. <laughs> I can't believe people thought that. I mean, Bronny honestly had a great game. 15 points off uh, was a 6 for 11 shooting. So pretty good game, I guess, individually. But yeah, no, there's deeper things wrong with this team. They have no idea how to use Isaiah Collier. Isaiah Collier, honestly, starting to look bad. Uh, Andy Enfield has kind of ruined him. He just looks timid. He looks not good right now. Um, and Boogie Ellis, I guess, is scoring just fine. But it's a situation with Boogie Ellis where it's like a lot of his points are empty points. So, man, I don't, I do not know where USC goes from here. I'm not sure how they improve. They don't have much time. They had to get into it. This was not a situation where they were rebuilding. They've no. got a lot of continuing pieces. They were expected to compete for the conference championship this year. Um, shout out to Oregon State, though. They're 9-4. Yeah, Quiet yeah. rise. Yeah, yeah. They're 9-4. Uh, they're and four. They're up to 166th in Kempom. Let's go. Pretty good. Yeah, they were. They ended at 214 last season, so they're already up. This is their highest Kempom rating in a couple years, I think. So good for the beeves um, the Peyton years podcast i they're having an electric time over there they are having so much fun over there on the Peyton years uh let's move on to the other la school ucla did beat oregon state 69 62 but they lost to oregon in eugene 64 59 in another close spirited last loss reed you got to watch some of this one what'd you think I feel myself drawn to watch UCLA almost above anyone else because I they do have a really interesting cast of characters. Uh, you know, I mean, it, the fun foreign guys and Adem Bonas there, and then they have these guards who sometimes they come through, but more and more it's feeling like they don't. Uh, I mean, the Oregon, the Oregon game was really a completely limited Oregon team without their bigs, without an answer to Adem Bona just scrapping and hanging on uh, and continually daring UCLA to shoot threes. And UCLA went three of 19 from three. Oh, yeah. Could not put anything together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I I mean, little moments like I thought, and I'm going to absolutely butcher this, but but Bayouk Dinsel, like he was having a bit. Yeah, he was having a bit of a moment in this game. But at the same time as that was happening, like I said, the guards that had been promising in earlier games were fading. I thought they needed to get the ball to Demona more, frankly, with with how limited Oregon was in the front court. Stefanovich is still an inside uh, agent. <laughs> Who could have seen Utah? this coming? <laughs> Who could have seen it coming that it was a really fucking bad sign for UCLA that Lazar Stefanovich was projected to start? Why yeah. is he a starter? <laughs> uh, you, I ask myself that to this day. I yeah, I, I feel like I was going crazy because UCLA fans were like. 
at once were like, Utah sucks. Like, they wouldn't have anyone who would start at UCLA. And then when they get Lazarus Tavanovich, it's he's actually pretty good. Like, his defense is good. He's a good shooter. He can distribute. I'm like, what are you never talking about? What are you talking about? Nuts. He, Absolutely ridiculous. He took he took ridiculously hard shots while he was at Utah. And he's I think doing that, it again. Yeah, I think that made people think that, like, Oh, well, he's better than the numbers indicate, you know, once he gets some easier shots with better talent around him at UCLA, he's going to shoot well. But no, he is who he fucking is. He wants those shots, all right? Lazar Stefanovic is the guy saying, like, I asked my landlord to increase my rent. <laughs> like, he's looking for challenges. He wants those shots to be harder. He does he's not playing want a different game no than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, uh, tough, tough game, man. UCLA has some... It's weird because they're really, really close to beating some good teams. And honestly, <laughs> Oregon, I think, is a good team. I'll get to them in a second. I think Oregon is a decent team. Um, but, yeah, it's like they got to figure out what they're going to do with Lazarus Stefanovic because he's playing like 37, 38 minutes a game at this point. He has cemented himself uh, in, as a starter. And I think it's because, like, Mick Cronin is racist against true freshmen. Like, he just refuses to play them. Um, and so Lazarus Stefanovic is getting minutes. At some point, we're going to have to see if one of the other young guys, Will McClendon, uh, Ilan Fiblia, can supplant him. But right now, Lazarus Stefanovic is right there, and he's going to get a ton of shots and get a ton of usage. So we'll see. On the Oregon side, though, uh, and by the way, Matthew V had a funny comment. UCLA down to hoping a Jaime Hawkes pep talk can turn things around. Jaime Hawkes in town for the uh, Clippers and Lakers games for the Miami Heat. So maybe maybe Jaime Hawkes is over there telling them telling them what they need. Um, and, they, and Matthew also says Lazar starts because he's the only guy who mix runs out of bounds play for. So true. So true. Has no clue what he's doing there. Uh, Oregon, though. Jackson Shellstad, fucking electric. Oh, my God. Reed, talk about this kid for me. <laughs> Yeah, the actual best player in the Pac-12. Jack Nelson <laughs> has taken things over. I mean, he has been so fun to watch. He's taken the throne from Isaiah Collier at the very least in terms of the most dynamic freshman guard this year. Freshman um, of the year front runner right now. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, he was just... In, in This game was a grind if you didn't watch it, uh, and Oregon felt like they didn't have a lot of answers, but it was Jackson Shellstad when they needed it. I mean, he was pulling up like four feet behind the line, just sinking shots late in the shot clock. Um, he has been just electric, and I cannot wait for him to be paired with Infali Dante, who also has a case for the best player in the Pac-12. Um, if he's healthy, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, eventually when Dante and Bitter, Biddle are healthy, you know, Oregon all of a sudden looks like a real strong case of, for a tournament team, and like Shellstead is the primary that I think I'm so bullish on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jackson Shelfstad has had an amazing start to his college career. It Like, his shooting, I, I don't know if, how much of y'all, uh, Greg, ever watched this. He's like a fucking lethal shooter. I mean, he was like, it felt like he was getting cornered like five feet, ten feet past the three-point line. Uh, and forced to take a, a prayer and was nailing him. It was ridiculous. It was unbelievable watching Jackson Shellstead play. I mean, some of it was like UCLA was like, what were they doing? Like, just giving him any amount of space whatsoever. But when he's 10 feet behind the three-point line, you're like, a, a bit of a Paul George meme. That's a bad shot. You know? And he, and he fucking nailed it. Uh, and it felt like he was nailing them all the time. Unbelievable performance from him. He was... And he's had a couple of these. I think we were in Vegas, right? We were, like, watching the... 
Oregon Michigan game, I think, and he had yep. a, a shot exactly like that, where he just fucking drilled something from like 35 feet. It was ridiculous. I'm really excited to see what Jackson Shellstead does from here on out. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, all right, that's it. That's all I had. Uh, any other any other thoughts here before we get out of here? Okay, all right, everyone's ready to go to bed. Uh, that's it for the games. Hey, we got one more football one more football game left. Are you all excited? No. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't feel real because usually I'm like, goodbye, Pac-12. Take a long nap. I'll see you in several months. See you Why in are August. you still playing football? Uh, yeah. Yeah, going all the way to the bitter end. I don't think we've ever, uh, you know, I, God, I cannot. It's been a long time since 2014 since we saw a Pac-12 team. Since I've, like, cared about the playoff. Like, I care about the playoff now because a Pac-12 team is in it. It's yeah, it's kind of fun to watch. We'll see what happens. If Washington wins the national championship, it will be surreal. Like I think it, I think yeah. I will just, I will just, I will sit there being like, real? Did, is this happen? real right now? Did they, did they really just win a national championship against all of our understanding of everything? Uh, would be, would be absolutely absurd. Anyway, that's all we have. Should be a big old fun weekend uh, as we ramp up to that game. We'll be back here next week. We'll come right after the Washington-Michigan game, as we did last time, I think. Is that Probably. we going to commit to that? All Probably, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll and come bang, right after. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reed might not show up. Maybe, <laughs> might be Reed's last time. If Just say hi to Reed one more time before he actually – it is his last time uh, if Washington actually beats Michigan. But for now, that is Reed. That's Greg. That's Avery. I'm Carlos. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to our YouTube channel. Thank you to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. And remember, there are no trick stops here. Not even one. Go blue. Things aren't always green on the sunny side of the street. And I don't mind if the sun don't shine. Bloody weather suits me fine. Pouring up the best wine on the boat tonight. I think I'll be a superstar.